If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy Mama, and you I'm know it. Okay, you sing it. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy Christmas. Happy birthday to no, you. Okay, you sing it. You sing I it. Okay. Welcome to another episode of Hot Marriage Cool Parents. Doug, do you want to tell them or do you want me to? Um, maybe you should tell them. <laughs> Are you sure you want me to tell them? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Doug pooped the bed. Straight up shat himself. Like that hasn't happened to everyone listening. I mean, I've never pooped the bed. Yeah, well, you know, it was, um, I took one for the team. And I don't know what happened, but whatever my daughter came home with, some sort of bug or whatever, um, it created a, a whirlwind in my stomach. And this is the first time that this has ever happened to me. And I have been a bedwetter, uh, well, have been, I was a bedwetter until about 12 or 13 years old. Um, but I, I never went to the bathroom like this in the actual bed. And uh, yeah, yeah, it okay. was bad. Okay, so I woke up and I saw on his side of the bed what looked like poop smears, but I was like, no, that can't be. And so I just like roll back over onto my side of the bed. Thank God I wasn't like laying in his side, but I yeah. roll back over to my side and, you know, close my eyes. And then when I wake back up, you're like taking out the, taking off the, uh, the sheets. And I was like, oh my God, is that really poop? And you're like, yeah, I couldn't hold it in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it happened overnight. I had no control. And if you remember that morning, this is when Henley was on this two-day, like every single poop is going up her back. Over that weekend, we probably changed her clothes uh, or bed sheets at least five times because it was just an explosion every single time. And that happened again. And I was like, Jamie, I can't help put her back to sleep. I can't help anymore. And uh, I spent the rest of the morning downstairs cleaning myself. That's so funny. I mean, it's not funny. I'm sorry. But it's almost like yeah. you laughed at me when I pooped my pants like way back when. I know. And, and now I, I get why you laugh because it is just kind of really funny. But yeah. it's gross. Not, <laughs> not thinking it would ever happen to me. Yeah, right. Well, no, I'm laughing at you. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that you're feeling better though now. And Henley's definitely feeling better. And thank God I never got the poops. Like you two had it, but I never got it. I know. Uh, well, so I, I don't like her to feel left out. You know, I like, I, I wanted to get that stomach bug. So she didn't feel like she was the only one. That's so sweet of you. Aren't you the best daddy ever? <laughs> <laughs> so every single episode we do a five-star review and this Day is no different. Chase Sum, or I'm sorry, it's Chase Shum. She left us a five star review, and I'm going to read it right now because it was a real nice one. And I love reading the five star reviews. Her says, Love these guys. I watched your season of Married at First Sight and loved it. I love that you two are still together and have created such a great life. You are so open and real. I really appreciate your vulnerability. This is a great podcast to listen to as you're shopping or doing stuff around the house. Thanks for the great listen. And I just want to say to you, Chase Shum, thank you for taking the time out to leave a five-star review. They are my all-time favorite things ever. So thank you. Yes. 
And also, yeah. And also I wanted to let everyone listening, all you guys at home know that if you download the Himalaya app, it's free. You can actually leave a review right below an episode. So let's say if you have something you know, that you want to let us know, but you don't want to, you're not able to leave another review on iTunes, then you can just go to the Himalaya app and you can talk to us every single episode. And we look at absolutely every single comment, review, thumbs up, all of it. Very, very great app. And it's free. Why not check it out? So this week I am seven weeks pregnant. Yeah. And there's probably a heartbeat. There's definitely a heartbeat. We heard the, I heard the heartbeat. You weren't with me actually, but I heard the heartbeat at the last appointment and I have been really confident this whole time. You know, we've known now for three weeks that we're pregnant and uh, I've been so confident the whole time because we've been seeing the fertility specialists and my like hormone levels go up every single week and everything seems to be going great. But last night I had really bad back pain and I feel like the last couple of days I've been a little nervous just because I don't know why really, but like I've had, like, I just, I don't know why I've been a little nervous and I'm ta- I'm trying to talk myself off the ledge. Cause I'm like, you're not bleeding. You know, you like, there's not like abdominal cramps. Like you're not, everything is fine. But I think that just because of the last losses, I would have back pain and then cramps and the spotting would start. And then I start bleeding. And then before you know it, the, the baby's gone. So, I mean, last night I literally had to get a, a heating pad because my back hurt so bad. Yeah, and you know, as much as I try to to be there and support, and you know, it's it it upsets me that there's not much that I can do. But I also feel like if you didn't have any symptoms whatsoever, if you didn't have back pain, if you weren't nauseous, you would still say, "I wonder if that's good or bad that I'm not feeling anything." I know, and that's why I try to talk myself off the ledge because I'm like, "Stop it!" Like that's the last thing. I should do. I need to be like really calm and stress-free and make it a happy environment for the baby to grow in. But that's like so much easier said than done. I really haven't been nervous though. Only like just recently, like I was so confident everything was great. And then just recently I got a little, I guess I've just been a little nervous, but um, Monday we have our next appointment. So I'm hoping that, you know, our labs just, well, the other reason being that I'm a little nervous is because so I don't know if I even told you this, Doug, but so two weeks ago, our labs came back and my progesterone levels were like off the charts. They were so right. high and they had prescribed me progesterone suppositories and they're, they're actually like really gross. Like I, we talked about this on the last episode. I have to like insert them into my hoo-ha and then they like disintegrate in there. They like dissolve in there, but then inevitably I have like a discharge and it's just, this is TMI. It's like super gross, I know, but it is what it is. And so I was like, well, if you know, my progesterone levels are off the charts, like so high, so good. So I'm like, then I don't need these supplements. So the nurse in me is like, just like self-diagnosing, which is so silly. And, and I know better than that, but I just kind of stopped taking them because I was like, well, I don't need them then. And I didn't really tell the doctor or anything. I just kind of didn't take them anymore because I was like, clearly I don't need them, which is the dumbest thing to do. And the only reason why I'm sharing it, because I'm kind of embarrassed to even admit it out loud. But the only reason why I'm sharing it is for any of you guys who are nurses out there and think that you can self-diagnose, don't do it. (laughs) Because the most recent uh, results came back and my progesterone levels dropped. And you have to have progesterone in order for your body to keep this baby viable. And so I guess maybe that's truly why I got a little nervous. And it would be 100% my fault because I stopped taking this medicine that the doctor prescribed, which was so silly of me. But not necessarily. 
I mean, they, you know, the your your levels were enough where they they wouldn't have prescribed it to you unless you asked for it. So I mean, it's you know, if it's gonna happen, it'll happen. I don't think it's your fault. It should anything or worst case scenario happen, but um, I would try to not put that guilt or that much stress on yourself. Well, thank you for that. But the truth is, is they they prescribed it before they even knew my lab. So, like. It, it just was really silly of me. And, I, and, I, and I'm like all about taking full accountability. You know, if I do something wrong, I'm going to say that I was wrong because hopefully not only I learned from it, but maybe other people can learn from it. And I don't know what I've learned is that I'm really, I really have always been this way. Like I've always been this way as a nurse. Like if I know what, if, 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 if I was my own patient, I would have been like, what are you crazy? Like, don't you stop taking that? Like, what are you nuts? But for some reason for myself, I like have a second, like a double standard. And I'm like, oh no, like, you know what you're doing. You're fine. No, Jamie, like, listen to the doctor. What is wrong with me? Especially with something so important as a, as our, as our baby, you know, like what is wrong with me? So anyways, needless to say, I have been sick as a dog lately. And obviously I'm not complaining whatsoever because I'm so thankful to have these symptoms because it does, it is, that does give me reassurance that yes, this baby is growing inside me and it's still there. I'm not bleeding. So everything is good. And you've been having certain cravings where I'm making pancakes for you at 1130 at night. That's true. And if you don't, I feel like you don't love me. Right. (laughs) That was legit an argument. We actually had an argument over this. (laughs) Right. Doug, you just got home. You did a podcast. You haven't eaten yet. Can you make me pancakes? Uh, can I just throw on comfy clothes? What? You don't love me? <laughs> I've been really, really sick, and Doug has been a complete gentleman and stepped up and help has helped out. Like usually, when we have guests on the podcast, I'll be, always be there to interview too. Also, just because I like to, it's really fun and intriguing. We have really cool guests on, and I want to talk to them too. But this one for this week's episode, we had Bren- Brendan Sinnett, who is awesome. This guy is a mul- the coolest multimillionaire I've never had the chance to meet, but I listened to your guys' interview and he's so cool. He's just so down to earth. So he is a multimillionaire because he sold his food brand, Bare Naked Granola, to Kellogg's for more than $80 million in 2007. But when I say he's cool, I mean, he is a father of four children. He's adopted two. He was on the show Survivor. He worked backstage at Saturday Night Live. I mean, this guy is all over the map in the cool category. And he's also currently the CEO of the organic fair trade cotton apparel company called Pact. Uh, just such a cool interview that you had with him. And I'm so bummed I missed out, but you can hear in the background. I mean, this podcast never fails to keep it real because you can hear in the background, I'm chasing Gracie. She's crying, you know, like her toys are rattling. But I, uh, I was. Those so... were those were his, um, and those were his kids in the background in some of the uh, some of the audio clips. So, so it wasn't just us. <laughs> all right, that makes me feel less like our house is the only chaotic one. <laughs> I guess that's a parenting life. And what I love about you yeah. guys listening, our listeners, is that you you know our our interviews. I mean, by now it's like I always feel like I have to defend and be like, okay, so our daughter woke up. So sorry we had an inter- you know interruption. But it's like, you guys are so cool. Like, you know that we're doing this literally in our dining room is where we podcast. And we 
sometimes our daughter wakes up and we try to do it while she's sleeping, but Brendan's interview happened to be while she was awake still. So she's running around in the background and I'm chasing her, trying not to throw up myself over here. And uh, it was just, it's just like the normal life that you get to just kind of be a fly in the wall and be a part of. So it's kind of cool. But before we get into Brendan's interview, we did put it out on the Hot Marriage Cool Parents Instagram page that we would answer any questions you have because we always get asked to do, to answer questions. Like that's like the number one, no, no joke about it. Like by far the most popular thing that you guys seem to like is when we just answer your questions. And so I was like, well, then we'll do that. So I picked the top 30 questions that you guys posted uh, on the Hot Marriage Cool Parents page. And uh, we will we will answer them right now real fast before we have Brendan on. So Doug, you ready? I am ready. First question is from Elle Feltz. And she says, what type of job does Doug have now? So I'm a, a business development manager, which is a uh, software sales rep. For Dodge Data and Analytics. Miriam Naomi Jones asks, did you get your due date? Yes, we have a due date. It's May 14, 2020. I'm pushing for Cinco de Mayo. Um, that's actually my friend Elia's birthday. So that would be kind of cool too. Uh, Lily Enterprises asked, will Jamie continue to host Married at First Sight Unfiltered? And that is definitely a yes right now. We, I'm already like lined up to go out in October to begin shooting a new season of Married at First Sight Unfiltered. So that's really exciting. Um, but I don't know what's going to happen when it comes to when the baby's born because... I don't know if I'll be, you know, last time Henley was like two months old and I flew out to LA to shoot the show with like a baby on my boob, no joke. And I went solo doing it, which is, I don't know how I did that. I mean, I don't, I have no idea how I did that. I don't know how I would do that again, but stay tuned. I'm not sure what's happening after the baby's born, but we'll see. I will, I will be there uh, to help out with this because I don't think that you should ever say no uh, for something like that, especially because you love doing it. Because the second that someone takes your spot, you have the chance of, of losing the spot. It's like any sports team, if you're a quarterback that gets hurt time and time again, there's been a backup quarterback that steps in, does a great job, and then all of a sudden he's the starting quarterback. So we will, we will work towards anything to make it work. And, and I'm familiar with how babies stay alive. I'm familiar with how to, to keep track of both babies. So I think that we'll be okay, but I don't think that you should, uh, you should stop what you're doing. Oh, see, this is, this is why I married to this man. I love you. That's so sweet of you, Douglas. <laughs> love you. Luis E. Curran. She asked for tips for keeping marriage fresh and exciting. Uh, one thing we do is we use this Relish app. I'll talk to you about it a little bit more later in the podcast, but it is a great way to kind of keep your relationship healthy. And funny thing, Doug had promised, this is when I was pregnant, he had promised that we would have date nights weekly, but any parent out there, I don't know, maybe we're the only ones, Doug, but I mean, it was like, God bless your heart for trying to have date night weekly, but it's like so hard. It really is. I mean, I liked it when Henley had a tough time going to bed because then we can have somebody come by and put her to bed. And by the time we got home, we would sneak in so she didn't wake up so then we could finally sleep. But, you know, I, for, for keeping marriages fresh and exciting, I, I think it's all about the element of surprise. You should always look to surprise your, your partner, whether it's something small, something big, or just something that came out of nowhere. I think that's what keeps everything fresh. Note taken, Doug. I haven't surprised you in a while. And we used to do surprises for each other like every other day. So note taken. All right. Uh, Kelly Joe 27 asks, how do you find your guests for your podcast? And that's a really good question because 
I really want, like, I don't care how big of a social media following they have. I don't care how much money they have. I don't care about any of that. All I care about is that, that they have valuable insight onto some sort of topic that's going to help me and help everyone, every one of you guys listening uh, in some way, shape or form. So, you know, like we have someone on today and he talks about how he built a brand in a business, which is obviously very helpful information, especially if you're an entrepreneur, but he also talks about the adoption process. And that's kind of the second part of their interview. And it, helps me immensely because I don't know the first thing about adopting. And so, but it's something that I really do want to do. And so when we are scouting, you know, we, we get a lot of offers to have people on our podcast and sometimes we will take them. Like this was someone reached out to us asking if we would like to have Brendan Sinnott on our podcast. I'm assuming his PR group and we researched him and he is so cool. And we were like, oh my gosh, we would absolutely love to have him on because he could share so much great insight with everyone listening. So that's one way we do it. Also, we, you know, if I find someone on Instagram that I like, I mean, there's a lot of people that I've had on that I say, oh, I just, I followed them on Instagram and I love them. And so then I invite them on the, on the podcast because I know that if I love them, that you guys listening are probably going to love them too. Katie in Rod asks, best marriage advice you've ever received? Doug, this is a good one for you. Um, have as much sex as possible. That is not marriage advice. That's just something you want. Oh, right. I got confused by the question, I think. Um, no, I, I think that it's, it's knowing, knowing boundaries, but also communicating everything that you're feeling, anything that bothers you. Don't let things bottle up. Don't let things go too far gone to where it becomes a bigger issue. Um, you know, that was probably the advice that I got through uh, from the experts in Married at First Sight, but something that, uh, you know, that was an issue with my relationships prior to being married. Yeah, communication was not your strong suit when we first got married, but you're so much better at that now. Mrs. Courtney McDonough asks, Jamie, if you had the chance back then, would you have done Bachelor in Paradise? And funny you ask that because back then there was a show called Bachelor Pad, and I did do it. And if you guys know Chris Bukowski, who is now engaged to Katie Teamo, I think is her last name. I know that's, I know that, or Ayamo. Uh, I was like in this he was very, very immature back then. It looks like he's grown up an, an awful lot since then. But um, I was in this, like this like love triangle with him and another girl because he's we had this secret relationship. It's silly. If you saw Bachelor Pad, then you then you know with my season on it was Bachelor Pad season three, then you'll know what I'm talking about. But it was just a silly, you know, silly thing. I don't know if I would do it to be honest. I'm happy with my hubby from Married at First Sight, and I'll I'll keep it. <laughs> Kay Nicole asks, love you guys. Can you do a meet and greet in New Jersey? I also live in New Jersey. Would love to meet you guys. Okay, for this one too, I am planning a, a Friendsgiving with one of my friends. She's the owner of Alchemy Hair Studio in Tom's River. Her name's Alexis Foreast. Uh, yeah, stay tuned for that. We're definitely gonna do a meet and greet for Friendsgiving uh, in November. Jay Hardy Jr. 24 asks, fave place to travel, tips for keeping the bedroom sexy during marriage. Douglas? Is that a travel and a sex question? I mean, two best things ever. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, I really, really enjoyed South Africa, even though we were down there for a short amount of time. I think that we, um, that was such a, a fun place to go to, and probably because it was completely different than just regular life. Um, but yeah, the, the sex part of it, I think that it's going to be something that you both have to 
be into. Um, you know, it shouldn't seem like a chore. Uh, so not, you know, not overdoing it, but also, you know, once you're both on board, uh, it just makes it that much more special. So make each other feel special, make each other feel like they're wanted and desired. And then anything sexual in the chemistry just kind of builds from there. Chelsea M. Bullock asks, how did it go meeting your brothers? And this is a sad one to me because I have yet to meet my brothers, but um, I'm hoping that one day they'll want to get to know me and, and have a relationship with me since we are, you know, brother and sister. Mariah asks, woo, so I want to prove my husband wrong. And then she has a wink face and I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> and that's actually the only question that she submitted. So I'm not sure what that means. I bet but- you, I bet you it's uh she better husband that we wouldn't read it. Okay. Well, you just proved your husband wrong because we read it, Mariah. Riss Peterson asks, when are you moving to California? That's a really good question because last winter we went to California wanting to buy a place. We looked at places out there. Is anybody knows who's been you know looking for a home in California? Oh my God, it's so expensive. It is like literally a million dollars for like a shack out there. It's just so expensive. So we've kind of reevaluated over the summer and now we're going to spend the winter in Florida and consider buying a home in Florida this winter. So stay tuned for that. Definitely not moving to California now. Um, Island girl always. Why did it look like you might have twins? I know the levels were high, but why? Um, because there was this extra free fluid of water in my uterus when he first looked at it. So there was like one that he thought for sure was a baby. Then there was this extra, what he called free fluid. The doctor called that. And I was like, oh my God, but that could be a baby too, right? And he was like, no, highly unlikely. But I was like, hey, you never know. <laughs> so it got my hopes up. <laughs> Steph 5810 said, personal question. Did your mom ever admit to knowing or, or sleeping with your dad? That's a ginormous negative. She, she admitted to knowing him. She had no choice because my dad was kind of a prominent figure in my hometown. So he owned, uh, uh, his family owned a corner store and my father managed it. And he also had his own catering business. So he was, you know, a well-known man and a very well-respected and liked man in my hometown. So of course my mom knew him, plus her boyfriend worked for him at that corner store. So there was no denying that she knew him, but she like, she swears that she never slept with him. Um, obviously that's not the case because here I am. So the proof is in the pudding. <laughs> Uh, and Roxanne McGavern, a longtime Fran and, and someone who's actually turned into a really good friend. She was first a Fran and then we started talking. She shared some stories with me and we just connected and now we're good friends. She said, are you taking a break from winter in New Jersey this year? And yes, we are. We're going to Orlando, right, Doug? Yeah, Orlando or maybe other places. Who knows? I've, I've been getting a lot of feedback from people saying that we should go on the West coast. And, um, I think that when we do go down there, we'll scout out a couple different spots where it would be look a good, good place to invest. Um, I'm just looking forward to it, but yes, answer is yes. Yes. We're going to get a second home and hopefully be snowbirds in our thirties and go at least until Henley's in school and go down there every winter and escape this, the winter blues, because I, I struggle so bad with the winter blues. Like I get like straight up depressed in the winter. 
Bobby4916 asks, why do you wear the same clothes in every episode of Unfiltered? Bobby, girl, I hear you. It's so frustrating, right? I mean, at first it was frustrating because I was like, I want to look, you know, cute in every picture or every every episode. But now I'm like, gosh, that's easy. Like I know exactly what I'm wearing. I wear the same thing every single time. So the reason that they make us wear the same clothes is so it's super easy to edit. So for example, if they're needing a head nod for a certain episode, it's easy to have to like pull a head nod from another you know, another shoot day if I'm wearing the same exact outfit. So that's, that's why they, they ask us to do that. So it's just very, very easy for them to edit and keep it all cohesive. So yeah. And also it, it helps keep any spoilers from being revealed because if, you know, if you can't put a timestamp on when this interview was taken place, then you can't, you won't know whether or not the couples are still together. And that's, that's like important for the longevity of Married at First Sight is to keep people wondering, are they together or are they not? So that then people want to watch the show. So that's a very, very, you know, a lot. Sorry. Okay. I was just gonna say, that's a very, very, uh, behind the scenes type answer that I'm not sure if I'm supposed to share that much detail, but that's, that's really the truth of the matter. And I don't think that it'll hurt for you guys to know that. Yeah. A lot of girls at work ask me that same question. Yeah, it's weird. I wear the same clothes literally every single episode, and there's like 16 episodes. It's a lot of weeks wearing the same clothes. <laughs> it, it saved you a lot on having to go get new dresses. Yeah, I do provide all my own wardrobe. Fun fact, actually, the last episode of or the last season of Married at First Sight, I wore a $20 dress from Amazon. No joke. <laughs> so that, that'll tell you about my fashion. In the season before, I was wearing Louboutins. So that's me for you in a nutshell. Amazon Prime. Fancy. Yeah. Okay. Last question. Lindsay Ski asks, did Doug, if I can talk, <laughs> did Doug watch the full birth of Henley and will he watch the next one? Yeah. We actually recorded her full birth on Married at First Sight. Uh, it was called Jamie and Doug Plus One. And if I had my way, I would honestly record my hoo-ha. Like, I want to see what it looks like when I pop a baby out of me. I know that sounds so gross and like TMI and very graphic, but I mean, you asked. And so I'm just being honest and telling you the truth. I would love to film. We tried filming my vagina while Henley was coming out, but the doctor was in the way. So I didn't get to see anything, which was really upsetting to me. Okay, so now that we're done talking about my hoo-ha, uh, Doug, I know you really wanted to tell a little bit more about Brendan before you brought him on, right? Yeah, so I didn't know Brendan before we did this interview, and I got to say that he's such a down-to-earth person. I mean, talk about humble beginnings, and this is someone that has built a company after splitting, spending, I think it was $3,500 working out of the back of a trunk or the back of a store with his friend Kelly. And they built a business all the way up until Kellogg's actually purchased the business from them. So just think about that within a short amount of time, within 15 years, you go from starting with a $3,000 investment to building close to a $40, $50 million business. And then he's actually, or yeah, 80 million, but he's actually taken his company and, and continued to provide top quality products and brands, including the organic clothing line. Um, But just the fact that he has four kids and continues to want to build businesses and, and he just, he was a fascinating person 
to speak with. And um, yeah, it was just, I really enjoyed my conversation with Brendan. That's so awesome. I mean, I'm bummed that I missed out on it, but I'm happy that I got to listen to it early and that everyone, you guys are going to listen to it now. Uh, But one thing that I wanted to share with you before we bring Brendan, our guest today on, is that I have been taking my care of vitamins and I really wanted to share with you because whether you're pregnant, you're trying to conceive, or if you're just trying to get back into a healthy routine, I highly recommend heading to the site takecareof.com because they'll give you this really short, fun five-minute quiz and all you have to do is answer each each of their questions and they'll ask you about your diet, your lifestyle, your health needs, and then you'll get a research-backed recommendation with the vitamins, supplements, and maybe even protein powers that you need based on your completely personalized quiz results. So instead of just going to take like one random vitamin, you're actually taking vitamins that you need for your body. I highly, highly recommend care of. I mean, I just absolutely love it. Best part is, is that they will just ship it right to your front door. So it's super convenient and easy for you to remember to take your vitamins. They are offering 25% off your first care of order. You just go to takecareof.com and enter the promo code Jamie O and you'll get 25% off your first order. So like I said, you just go to takecareof.com, enter Jamie O and you'll get 25% off your first care of order. And I, like I said before, I mean, I've said it several times, it's truly worth it. These vitamins are really, really great. And they're what you need for your body specifically, like they're catered right to your health, which I think is like the kicker for me anyways, is I like to know that this is what I need to take for my body. Okay, and I promised that I would share more about this relationship app that I'm using to help my own relationship with Doug. It's called Relish, and it is awesome because it's the first ever personal trainer for relationships. So it can be used as a maintenance tool to keep your relationship fresh, or it can be used to make your relationship stronger and healthier. And honestly, I'm using it for both. (laughs) Uh, It's backed by a team of experts in the relationship field, and it's recommended by marriage therapists. And essentially what it does is it offers weekly lesson plans, but it also assigns you your very own personal relationship coach. Mine is Mooney. Her name is Mooney and she's awesome. So each week she will check in with you via text to help guide and support you. And you can reach out to her anytime you need for support and advice. And honestly, it's just a really great way to kind of take accountability for your own part of your relationship. But another thing that I like about it that I really wanted to tell you was that Doug's not really into relationship apps per se. He is doing it because I asked him to do it with me, but you don't have to have a partner do it with you. So if you're kind of just looking to enhance your relationship, help your relationship grow stronger, stronger, or if you're kind of not sure if you're doing something wrong, I highly recommend downloading this app. You can try it absolutely free for a full week before you have to pay for it. So that in itself makes it worth it. But yeah, it's it's a really great app because you don't have to have your partner on board, but you can start you know, benefiting from, you know, taking accountability for your own actions. So yeah, Relish is giving our listeners a free seven day trial. All you have to do is go to hellorelish.com slash HMCP and you'll get seven days free. You've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. So try Relish for free today by going to hellorelish.com slash HMCP. That's hellorelish.com slash HMCP. And if you guys get the life coach Mooney, well, when we have the same life coach. Okay, last thing I really wanted to share before we bring Brendan on is the fact that Doug has been obsessed with his Bomba socks. I have some too. They are 
actually really, really amazing, but he has been obsessed with them since we got them. He heard about them first on the Howard Stern show and has wanted them ever since. But at first I was like, we don't need more socks. Like we have so many socks, but the great thing about Bombas is that they have this new line of Merino wool socks that they're made from soft, warm, and naturally moisture wicking Merino wool. They're designed with all of Bombas classic comfort features, which are like seamless toe, cushioned footbed. I mean, they're really, truly, believe it or not, like a world of difference in socks. So if you're like someone who wants to keep your feet nice and warm because your office is freezing with the air conditioning or you are going for a run and you don't want your feet sweaty and stinky, highly recommend checking these out. And if for nothing else, I definitely love the fact that for every pair of socks you buy, Bombas will donate a pair to someone in need. So if you've been wondering about Bombas socks and whether or not they're worth it or not, I I went to the dark side, the Bombas side, and uh, I'm, I'm a true believer that it genuinely is worth it. So we just ditched all the old ratty socks that were kind of uncomfortable, and we only have Bombas socks now because I like that they're the no slip. They really don't slip. And then Doug's, his work socks would always kind of slide down and slouch, and it looks really unprofessional. But the Bombas socks stay up, and they're really comfortable. So yeah, we definitely have made the switch to Bombas. And I like knowing that, you know, we got them and then they also don donated to someone in need. So it just feels good. Anyways, you can buy your Bombas at bombas.com slash HMCP today. You'll get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash HMCP for 20% off. That's bombas.com slash HMCP. I hope you like the socks. If you get them, let me know. Tag me in a picture because I swear to God, like the no slip ones, like the no show, no slip, they're the ones that I got absolutely love them. The best no slip, no show socks I have ever, ever, ever owned. But anyways, let's get Brendan on now. Are you looking for someone to share their deepest, darkest secrets on keeping their marriage spicy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you like please dish on how to be a cool parent? Because yeah, I don't know. Please tell me. Well, Jamie Otis and Doug Hayner have got all you hubbies and wifeys and mommies and daddies covered. Yep, that's us. Because each week, we're finding a guest who will spill all their dirty secrets. Oh, yeah. Because we all want to keep our marriages hot and our parenting cool. Here's the show. For all of our listeners, I know we promoted this uh, on our last episode, but we have Brendan Sinnott joining us today to talk about how to grow a business. We've had a couple episodes now where we've been talking to entrepreneurs, growing a business, but also talking with family people, talking with parents and being able to have a thriving business, but also spend time with family. And uh, Brendan, very, very excited to have you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. And uh, so, Brendan, um, I know that we want to get into the, the bare naked granola because I feel like that's a, that's a worldwide phenomenon. But um, maybe if you want to tell anybody that uh, may not know how you started or, or where you're from, maybe if you want to give a, a quick overview of, of where you are. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm 40 years old, about to be 41. Um, I have four kids. Uh, the oldest is seven. The youngest is two. Um, I live in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, to married to my wife, uh, Kelly, who I've been married to for about eight years. My, my entire business career has been focused on kind of building businesses that I wanted to share with my friends. I wanted to share with my family. And it's ranged from everything from granola, which I started out in, to frozen food, to yogurt, uh, to pet food, to candy, 
um, all the way into uh, apparel, which is what I'm working on now. See, I, I always said, you know, food and medicine are two of the things that are just never going to go away. So always good businesses to tap into. Yeah, it was just when I when I started out, I was, it was just something that I could easily understand. It's like, I want to make cereal that I can understand the ingredients and feel good about <laughs> what's inside of it. It's like, it seemed pretty straightforward to me. And before we get into your extremely successful journey with Bare Naked Granola, I have to ask about your experience on the reality show Survivor and the fact that you worked on probably one of my favorite shows of all time, Saturday Night Live. You actually worked backstage. Yeah, I uh, did Survivor 10 years ago uh, wow. out in Brazil. And then um, I worked in Saturday Night Live um, back in the early 2000s with like Will Ferrell and Tracy Morgan and Jimmy Fallon and all those those fun folks. That was That was probably my favorite era of Saturday Night Live. Uh, it was unbelievable. I, I, when I walked in, I, I didn't really watch the show prior to getting the job. Um, sadly enough, I was like 22 years old when I got the job. Sure. Um, and, and I walked into the elevator of 30 Rock and I, I walked with the person I was working for and they're like, oh, this is Will. You know, and I was looked up at this big tall guy. I was like, oh, what's up, Will? Nice to meet you. I'm Brendan. Like, what do you do here? <laughs> And it was, it was Will Ferrell. So, yeah. uh, you know, it was, I think that kind of innocence at that time helped, helped with the job. Oh, that's so funny. Did he give a Will Ferrell answer? Uh, he was totally straight faced and like, oh, I'm Will. Just like, you know, not anything too silly, but that kind of like, you know, that look that he has where he doesn't right. need to say anything, but just makes you want to just like laugh and hug him. <laughs> and um were, were you ever starstruck by anybody working on saturday night live uh yeah definitely um I, I had a huge crush on gwyneth paltrow and she hosted the show when i was there and we actually have the same birthday um september 28th so i was, was kind of we shared that and, and my job at saturday night live was wild so you know she would come in and host the show um the show is actually saturday night but the host would actually come in the monday prior um, and the host works really hard that whole week trying to get ready for the show. And I was basically the handler of the host. So I'd be with them all week, getting their coffee, you know, moving their car, getting the dry cleaning, you know, whatever, whatever they needed um, <laughs> to help them kind of work through the process of getting ready for the show. But it was one of the best jobs um, I ever could have had. And I was so grateful to have it. Well, it sounds like you certainly made a lot of connections there also, but uh, definitely learning the hustle and getting the behind the scenes of, of everything. I mean, is that something that you wanted? Did you see yourself as a comedian or did you want to use it as a stepping stone to something else? I didn't really have any interest in, in being in the front of entertainment myself. Um, I more took it on as like this thing, this is an institution, like Saturday Night Live has been on television for 45 years. I don't know how many years, like yeah. decades and decades. And it was so the most amazing part of my experience there was um, the show would be Saturday and it would be like 1130 in the morning on Saturday. So the show wasn't going to go on for 12 hours, uh, but you'd show up there at work, start getting ready and they'd have the band getting ready, playing music, and the, just the energy of the 350 people working to put together a live show week after week and make it funny, all in this tiny little studio in 30 Rockefeller Center was just electric. Yeah, that's, um, So that's what, that's what I was so inspired by. I mean, that's just, just to be there in such an iconic place and just the, the walls and the people that have been in those walls. And that's probably one of the shows that will always stand the test of time. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I watch it now more than I ever have just because after kind of being there, you, you just get a sense of respect for the product. 
Now, did you, um, did you make your transition from Saturday Night Live to Survivor? Um, was that the connection or was Survivor something that you always wanted to be on? So after um, I, I quit Saturday, I did Saturday Night Live for a year and then I quit. And that's when I started my granola company. I was 23 years old um, and I moved back in with my parents back in Connecticut outside of New York City and okay. bought half a company um, from a girl I went to high school with for thirty five hundred bucks. Um, <laughs> and we both we both moved back in with our parents and, you know, we were young and hungry and just hustled. Um, and over the course of the next five years, took it from, you know, basically nothing in sales to $50 million in sales. Um, and then we sold it to Kellogg's um, five years later. So it's, it was kind of cool because Kellogg's, you know, Kellogg's cereal, yeah. was a, he, was a doc, he was a doctor. He invented cereal to be a good product. And the first cereal he actually invented was granola. And so here we were kind of, you know, 100 years later um, sell, <laughs> selling, selling them basically probably, you know, a formulation that was similar to what, what Dr. Kellogg <laughs> did a hundred years ago um, and just doing it in, in today's times. Now, um, did, did you have any experience with granola or cereal before you met your partner, Kelly? No, I, I didn't. I, um, I had always, you know, in, in middle school, I used to go to like the Costco equivalent, the warehouse club, and I'd buy like 150 lemon heads for like 10, <laughs> you know, $10. And then I would sell them for like 25 cents each out of my locker in middle school. And then in <laughs> high school, I, I would go, I would make t-shirts for my football team and my baseball team. Um, I started a little like car waxing business at the local train station. So I was always like, wanting to to do something but not really knowing what to go do um or or even how to go do it but always just kind of in that that spirit um and then when i met kelly and around the food food always made a lot of sense to me i had been very passionate about um, watching what i ate making sure it was from good sources understanding where ingredients came from how they made me feel um, so i was already super attuned to to that um, but I had no kind of previous experience. Did you have a mentor in building this business? I mean, in a couple of years, you take something that was out of a truck or in the back of a store to this worldwide brand and Kellogg's knocking at your door, making you an offer. You know, you have many mentors through the process. Everyone from my mom saying that you can do it to my grandfather, kind of giving me business advice to some local folks that really gave me the confidence just to believe in myself and to believe in my decisions. Even if my my decisions weren't right, which, you know, in entrepreneurship, most of your decisions are not right. You know, most, most of the time you make right. wrong decisions and it's about how you, you keep going. Um, so it was really just about having people around you that would make you feel comfortable with the failure that was inevitable on a day in and day out basis so that you could keep your eye kind of on the, on the prize over the long term. You know, anytime you read up on extremely successful companies, it's, Companies that have a vision, a long-term vision, they have short-term goals, but more importantly, they surround themselves with people who believe in them and believe in their vision and keep sight on it. Um, now, the Bare Naked Granola brand, um, was that the name from the start? Yep, that was the name from the start. And uh, what was the inspiration behind that? So we were one of the first natural organic granolas, so kind of having the word naked in it was fun. Um, just in terms of the, the purity element of it. And then bear from, you know, it was spelled B-E-A-R. So like the, the bear, like the animal. Right. Um, but, but kind of putting those two words together, you get a, a kind of a reverent brand feeling around bear naked, about living bear naked. And so that was just kind of a, a big play that we wanted 
to not be famous for necessarily granola. We wanted, you know, we wanted to go reinvent the granola category and people have, people call all granola bare naked because it tasted so good and it evoked different emotion than you would traditionally feel within um, walking through the cereal aisles. I mean, when you, when you look back, uh, I mean, just the, the name alone, it carries so much weight and that, I mean, that has such appeal to people just walking by and just seeing that. Um, and I think you guys were probably one of the first to, to take a risk like that and put something out there. I just think it's genius. Yeah. When you have nothing, it's easy to risk everything. <laughs> when you're starting from the bottom, like you're never going to get to the top by kind of doing the same. So for us, it was, um, it, it, you know, when, when you're 23 starting a business, you're like, oh, we'll call it bare naked. What do we right. have to lose? <laughs> <laughs> right. Next thing you know, you're having t-shirts and, and you're the bare naked guy. I found an old business card the other day cleaning out my, my closet and on the business card, I was, you know, granola boy. And then my partner was the granola girl. It's just like, you know, you do anything in the beginning to make people touch and feel what you, what you have a vision around. And it's important to hold on to those things too. Yep. You know, I bet there wasn't a lot of granola when you were on Survivor, uh, probably a lot of bare naked, but definitely not much granola. And without getting too sidetracked is Survivor exactly how we see it on TV? Yes, it's it's a great question, and um, I get that question a lot. Survivor is real. Um, it you are starving. At least where where we were, we were we didn't have a lot of our campsite didn't have a lot of like bananas or coconuts growing around it. We so we were we were we were truly starving, and then we were not protected from the elements. I would say you know the hardest part about Survivor was actually not sleeping. Yeah, because you're not you're not sleeping in the middle of the night because you might have a rainstorm come through. You might hear a snake in the bushes. There might be somebody sneaking around for an idol, and you're you know waking up checking to you know to see what's going on. And so just consistently not having sleep and then not having food, which is both real. It's not like they're kind of helping you with those things. Um, and then as as part of my show, I got sent out to this island where I where I was away from all my my tribe. Mm -hmm. um, with another person and I was sent out there like nine out of the first 12 days of the show and we had literally like we were sleeping in sand with nothing around us. Did you become a, a castaway Tom Hanks type figure though? Did you eventually learn how to fish and spear animals? And um, I, I tried to fish a couple of times but the fish were so small in the river that we were next to that it wasn't worth it. You know you, we the best thing that we could do is there's some random plants that you could eat some food on Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, I survived off the the little bit of rice that they gave us and a little bit of black beans that they gave us. Do you still eat rice and black beans at all? Oh, totally. And then coming off the show, I like ate it a lot more. I was <laughs> like, this is nutritious. This, this is good for you. It's so simple. Uh, so it, it stuck with me for a while. I, it was nice when I got back. I could like add the Cholula or add the, the, the hot <laughs> sauce to it, which we didn't have there. You're like, what is this? A refrigerator? <laughs> we didn't have those. <laughs> When I went on the show, I, I lost like 17 pounds on the show. I gained 23 back real fast. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. Survivor is a great diet for anyone out there yeah. that wants to lose weight in a hurry. Uh, when you come out of Survivor, is there any obstacle that, that can stand in your way at that point? I mean, do you feel like you've almost, you survived like death and then you're just ready to take on the world? I think, um, you know, surviving by yourself compared to surviving and, and living a life with a family or a wife. 
um, or kids, I think, sure. you know, ultimately that show was probably easier because at the end of the day, I just had to make sure I didn't die. Um, <laughs> and, and, and as opposed to watching my four kids and, you know, taking them to the pool or taking them to whatever sort of adventure and kind of managing all of their needs. Um, I, I feel like parenthood is, is as intense, if not more intense than, uh, than doing the show Survivor. In the end of the day with Survivor, I was like, well, you know, they haven't killed anybody yet, so I'm probably not going to die. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a good, that's actually a good way of looking at it. Um, speaking of, of family, you are a father of four children, correct? Correct. Yep. I have uh, three boys and a girl. Um, the oldest is seven and the youngest is two. Wow. Yeah. My, uh, my wife and I, our daughter just turned two and, and we just announced a pregnancy. So I'm hoping for a boy, but I'm just hoping for a baby. Actually, <laughs> I don't yeah. care if it's a boy or a girl at that point. When my wife and I met, we went on three dates in 18 hours. I think, um, like we went out to dinner, had so much fun, called each other for breakfast, had so much fun, called each other for lunch <laughs> and just kind of kept chatting. And by the end of those 18, 20 hours or so, we had said, hey, we want four or five kids. Um, and she had said, you know what? I don't know if I can have kids. Um, she had endometriosis um, okay. as, as part of something that was going on for her biologically. And so she's like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm into this, but I might not be able to have biological kids. And for me, my sister um, or my half sister is adopted. Uh, so she is 23 now. Okay. Um, so I kind of grew up with a little bit of adoption in my family. Um, and then um, you know, when, when Kelly was talking about that as a way to build our family, for me, it was just about having a family. It wasn't necessarily about anything biological. Mm -hmm. Um, although when we, after we ended up getting married, um, our first two kids, we ended up being able to have kids together very easily. Um, okay. so we have two biological. And then the, after we uh, had those two, when we thought about building the rest of our family, we said, we always wanted to adopt. So let's just adopt the next two. Did you guys have to see a fertility specialist before you had your first child? No, it was kind of like first time, whatever doctor gave her that advice in the past <laughs> was just not, not correct. Uh, isn't that amazing? <laughs> Doctors are, remember they are practice. They practice. <laughs> That's right. They, they call it a practice. They do not have it perfect. Tell me a little bit about the adopting process because my, my wife is dead set on adopting. And to be honest, I've never given it any thought until she brought it up. And it's something that I feel might be further down the road just because I always imagine just having my own biological children. But what was the process like when you guys first started? When we first started, our youngest child was a year and a half. Um, and when we envisioned adopting, Kind of the first thing we thought about was like birth order to say, you know, are we willing to adopt a child that is younger or older than our existing children? Um, and what impact does that have? And for us, we wanted to kind of maintain our birth order mm -hmm. um, from a timing standpoint. And what that did is, is somewhat limit or start to scope what, you know, whether we adopt domestically or whether we adopt internationally. Uh, but as we started to get into the nuts and bolts of being able to travel with our family to another country to get that baby, we decided that we wanted to try to adopt a newborn. Um, we've had three failed adoptions. Two of the adoptions went through. Uh, so, you know, just like having your own children where there's miscarriages sure. um, or, or medical complications, there's no guarantees. And it's about kind of committing to the process 
um, ended up working with a, an agency in Florida and an agency in Louisiana, um, and then eventually found one in Indiana that was a little bit smaller of a practice, a little bit more professional from a service standpoint. And they basically, as soon as we met them, we, we, were, we got matched with a mom. Um, that mom ended up not wanting to give away her baby, which was tough. Mm -hmm. um, and then we were kind of heartbroken by that. And then like, you know, six weeks later, we get a phone call saying, hey, a birth mother picked you. Can you get to Indiana today wow. and meet, meet your new baby girl? So then we, we hopped on a plane, got to the hospital at one o'clock in the morning, walk into the nursing center in a hospital where all the other babies are, introduced ourselves. And at one o'clock in the morning, they're like, oh, you want to hold your baby? Wow. And we, we hung out with her all night. When you adopt a baby in that manner, you stay in the hospital just like you are birth parents. So they give you a room. The next morning, woke up and met the birth mother and the birth family because they wanted to meet us and understand where their, the baby girl was going to end up. Um, and then two days later, we left the hospital, went to a local courthouse in Indiana and had the adoption kind of formalized. Right. Uh, and then three days after that, we were on a plane back to Colorado. Did you even have time to get nursery furniture and everything? No, we, we didn't. We just kind of left it. And, you, you know, you re after having a couple of kids, you realize you just don't even really need that oh, much that's stuff a good point. With, yeah. with a newborn. <laughs> that's a beautiful thing. Um, now, when you say you go through these agencies going from Louisiana to Florida, what, what happens with uh, failed adoption if it's not the mother not wanting to give the child away? It's interesting. Every state has its own adoption law. Um, so the reason that we ended up in Indiana um, was Indiana is a very conservative state. So it's very pro-life from right. a legal standpoint. Um, and the offset of being a very pro-life state, meaning that if we're going to ask moms to have these kids, mm -hmm. um, then we're going to have very progressive adoption law. So adoptions can happen quickly. Um, the way it works with our agency, getting matched with a mom, a mom would contact that agency and say, you know, I'm thinking about giving up my baby. Um, here's why. And then the agency would do an interview on them, um, would try to get them in tune with prenatal care make sure that they were doing the things that they needed to nourish the baby in the womb. And then the moms will say, hey, I'm kind of interested. Or I'm totally interested. I'm ready to match with another family or I'm still thinking about it. If they are ready to actually match, the birth mother will say to our agency, hey, you know, I'm looking, I would ideally like my baby to end up in a family like this. Gotcha. Do you have any families that, that might match that profile? And so as part of our process with that agency, we actually build a picture book of our family. Um, so it's got us at Halloween, us at holidays, us doing silly stuff, us with our babies, um, just so that the birth mother could have a sense of uh, who, who their baby would end up with. Um, wow. And so then the, the birth mother then chooses out of that process. So they'll, they'll see five different families in those books and they'll be like, I like this one. And here's why, and I want to meet them, or I want to talk to them, or I, I, I pick them. I never, I never want to meet them. I just want to deliver the baby, but I know where, where the baby's going. So you, you kind of, you get matched based upon the birth mother's desires. Um, and then as you go through the process, you know, if the, if the birth mother might have three months of time before she gives birth, um, we would match, we would, we would likely connect. Uh, but then the birth mother, or us um, has the ability to say, no, this isn't a fit at any time. 
Um, so, so even leading yeah. up to the the date of birth. Yeah, I mean the the birth mother could give birth that day, mm-hmm. even though she she says she wants to match with the family and give it away and decide to keep it, right. keep the baby, which is one hundred percent right in my opinion. Sure, you know it's it's ultimately it's the mom's choice, and we always look at it as you know, the greatest gift in the world that somebody would give a baby to us. You know, I, I didn't know my wife before we got married. Um, so, but her mother said that she wanted to put her up for adoption. Um, she had my wife and as she was holding my wife, she decided that she wanted to keep the baby. So my, my wife was part of that without really knowing it at the time, but her mom decided to keep her at that point. You know, as we go through the process, we want what's best for that mom. Sure. Um, even if they, even if they end up giving a lot of questions, people ask is like, well, do you have an open adoption or a closed adoption? And me originally going into the process, I was like, oh, I want a closed adoption. I want nothing to do with whatever family gave me this baby. Right. Or, or, or we had the bees. I was like, I, that, that attachment or that just felt kind of scary. Like, are they going to come back for the baby? Are they going to want to be in the baby's life? And you have all these fears, um, which are natural and that I probably saw in the movies. <laughs> right. Because they're, they're not really from too many real examples that I've come across. Um, but we, we end up adopting with an open adoption. Um, and with open adoption, there's like a thousand degrees of open. Um, it can be where, you know, you, you talk to them one time, literally, and that's considered an open adoption. You never talk to the, them again or where you um, meet them after uh, meet them one time and then consistently share photos and you know that that child's experience with the birth family um and we you know we've ended up in open adoptions for both and for me that was probably the scariest thing going into it yeah And, and and you realize it's just like it's it's a beautiful thing for this baby that was given up for adoption to have as healthy and functional as relationship as they want with their birth family. Right. Um, and, and so we go, we, we try to nurture that. And this was, I t- can take zero credit for this because I was like, run, run. Like we don't want anything to do with this. It <laughs> right. was like, kind of my, my reaction. Always my looking over your like, shoulder, or at least that's how I thought of it. <laughs> Probably from no, the t- Totally, totally. And you, you know, you think that's what, what the reality is. And my wife, to her credit, was like, you know, no, this is okay. So our, our two kids' name are Mazzy and Desmond, the two that are adopted. And when Mazzy grows up and she wants to go meet her birth mother, I want to be able to help her do that. I was going to um, ask you that. Are they at the point of being able to understand that? And have you thought about what you would say? We just, we talk about it very openly. So our, um, our two adopted children are three and two, you know, three and a half and two and a half now. And three weeks ago, we went to Indiana and, and got matched with a baby. We actually had the baby for four days in the hospital. Oh, um, and we, we introduced our family, our kids, to this new baby that we thought was going to be ours. Oh. Um, and so, but we, this is also like one of the taboos that I was always very scared of. Like, how do I talk about this? You know, what do we say to her? But in the end of the day, we just, we try to normalize it as much as possible. Sure. We talk about celebrating, you know, their birth mothers today. We talk about them being adopted today. We talk, it's just, it's part of our family's vocabulary. It's just, it's not a taboo way to go build a family. It's just how we built our family and it's what they know. Would probably be, in, in my opinion, the best way that 
um, that I would want to know rather than being surprised at like 12 years old, you know, you're adopted. I mean, are, are the two children that you adopted, are they both Caucasian? Uh, one is Caucasian and one is half African-American, but she looks pretty much Caucasian. Gotcha. So they, they, they look pretty close to us. Um, and it's amazing how children just start to look like their parents, whether they're right. theirs or not. <laughs> it's amazing how that happens. Um, where we live in Colorado, there's a, a fair amount of adopted families. Um, and so we, we just, we do our best. We, we don't want any secrets. We don't want it to, we don't want any shame or any, any kind of baggage to come with it. It's like your mama is a hero she get she found a family for you to be happy and nurtured like and we we want to go celebrate that and just have it be how it is from day one and it's interesting like see our other kids um that are seven and six right like we just went to a hospital we got matched with the baby we had the baby for four days the baby ended up being being born addicted to drugs we didn't know that as part of the process and we just we couldn't handle it as a family given sure. the baby what she was going to need in terms of, you know, being in the hospital and just the, the need for a quiet environment. Like right. our family runs hot. Um, <laughs> so we weren't the best family to go, to, to go, to go have that happen. And it's been interesting to see kind of their reaction as a seven year old kid and a six year old kid to going to the hospital, thinking that they're meeting their baby sister and then not it, it, you know, at going through the whole process, you just, I, I knew I grew up with so many fears and so sure. many kind of taboos and stigmas around it. But you know, the day you realize that you just talk about it and it's real and it's right. And it's no more right than having your own kids and no less right than having your own kids as a way to build your family. Yeah. And, and we had suffered a couple of losses after we had our daughter uh, and suffered a, uh, a miscarriage at a little over our first trimester before her. It's almost like you can't get too excited when you hear the news. And, you know, and I wasn't able to get excited until, you know, we started to get into the third trimester with, with my daughter, Henley. And then once my wife told me that she was pregnant next, it was almost like I started to feel bad for my daughter for some reason, like I was not going to love her or I was going to take away some love from her when I'm just starting to get to know her. And I think one of the fears that, that I would have as a, as a father is, am I able to love this adopted child the same as I would for my actual daughter, my biological daughter? And I know it's kind of a selfish thought, but it's, it's something that was kind of a, a fear playing in my head with, and that's, you know, what I told my wife when she wanted to adopt. And I, I, did any of that happen with you? Oh, I had the exact same fear, right? Like the, the baby is not going to look like me or my wife. Am I going to, am I going to love it? Yeah. The baby might have funny smelling hair. <laughs> am I going to love it? Right. Like you in, in all babies, when they're born, I are all, to me, not that cute right. <laughs> right when a baby's born. Yep. And so it kind of just reinforces it where somebody hands you this little alien looking like, thing and what like, that's this? yours. <laughs> yeah. Why are the eyes rolling back in their head? What's all this stuff around them? <laughs> I mean, right? Like so, so many, why is the head shaped like it's that? It's so it true. Stay like that? Right. <laughs> so, so there's so many pieces um, that, that you have that, that fear, but um, it, this is not the same, so don't get angry at me for people that are listening for saying this, but like, you know, you adopt a dog and that dog or that cat just becomes your family. 
right? Good. You couldn't imagine life without them. And, and it happens even faster with a baby, <laughs> right? Yeah. In terms of like you, as soon as that baby is in your life and you are responsible for them and that baby is, you know, their skin is on your skin and you are sitting there at night holding that baby, feeding that baby. I yeah. mean, it becomes yours it, almost instantaneously. Um, you know, whether or not you have enough for your other kids, that's, that's a totally different story. Sure. <laughs> um, you know, the, but, but in terms of the ability to connect and have that baby be yours, um, I, you know, my experience was that it happened very quickly and um, it was some, a, a big fear that you really never thought twice about after you got into it. You said it was Mazzy and Desmond. Those are your two adopted children? Correct. Okay. Did the mother want contact or have you come into any where the mother just didn't want any contact or didn't even want to meet you guys? With Mazzy, who's our daughter, um, the, the birth situation was Mazzy's uh, mother was actually adopted also. Um, so uh, oddly enough, that was kind of like two generations of adoption. So they, as a family unit, um, her, her mom was pretty young when she gave birth. And so you know, as as her giving birth, there was also the grand the grand birth mother, okay. and as part as part of it, um, and we maintain a you know almost monthly relationship with them where we're like, you're this girl is amazing, and she is so special, and everybody that she sees lights up, and we need to share this with you because she is amazing. That's <laughs> and, incredible. And so we, we, we want, we share that and, um, you know, you don't always get a response um, and it's not always a dialogue, um, but the channel is always open uh, and we're, we're, we're consistently providing an update. Um, and for my, my other son uh, who was adopted, he, his birth mother was in a little bit different of a position. And so we had a, a lot more contact um, over the first kind of three to six months. And then, um, for whatever reason, what's going on in her life, she's kind of removed herself a little bit. Um, we still reach out and we still provide the same sort of updates, um, mm -hmm. but it's just not as frequent. And, you know, you got to you got to think about like a woman gave up her child. Yeah. You know, grew a child inside of her and gave her up. And so when she is ready to to have a relationship, that's when we want to meet her. Um, we don't put it on any sort of clock or any sort of agenda. Um, I know in my own life, you know, even with some of my best friends, I'm, I'm sometimes <laughs> present and sometimes I'm not right. Um, because I have, I have other stuff going on. And so they're human also. And so we, we do, we try to be open. We try to be transparent. Um, we try to be proud um, and receptive when they want to have um, uh, interaction uh, overall. Well, I, I think that uh, this has been great advice, especially for any parents that are uh, looking into adoption. Um, I know it's uh, it settled a couple of fears in my head about the process. Um, Brendan, as far as the um, any future adoptions, are you still looking to grow the family? Yeah, it's it's um, I, I think we're done. Um, we had been working on the this last adoption for like nine months um and after kind of going through the process which was you know heartbreaking and it's it was right for what needed to happen but it was it was kind of heartbreaking sure. um we we came out of it and being like we need to, we want to pause on the adoption stuff we want to focus on our existing kids 
Um, because going through the process of adoption, you're like, you, you sign up and you're on a list and you're number three on the list, but you still just wait. Sure. And so a lot of your life starts to just kind of, uh, pause. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, that was, you know, we'd, we'd been through it multiple times and we still make mistakes in the process of like planning for it to happen. For your biological children, you know, it's, it's, you, you don't necessarily think about that in the beginning of the impact that it would have on them going through the ups and downs in the roller coaster. Oh, 100% to see, I mean, my, my oldest son who's seven loves babies and loves kids. And he was loving on this little baby in the hospital and her name was Colette and this is his sister and he's a proud big brother and wants to hold her. Um, and then to have that not actually work out um, mm. was, that was one of the, uh, I, I, had, I had no, I, no idea that would be that would happen or that would feel so painful to see that um and you know there's there's real implications for your other kids around kind of going on that journey with you to adopt and we just as of right now we um we're saying no but every all of our friends that know us are like we don't believe you <laughs> uh because in the end of the day my wife and i like we love being parents we love <laughs> We love just having a brood of kids around. Are you saying that uh, bare naked granola gives you enough energy at 40 to want to have more children? Is that the message here? She, yeah, <laughs> it's, um, it's, I just, I don't know. It's like you start having kids and yes, like I am tired. Oh my God. Am I You're always going to be tired. Wife is tired. You're always yeah, going to be tired. But That's I'm, given now. Yeah. It's just, I'm tired working on something that I love and, um, and as fam family for us, it's just something that it's, I've had a lot of fun building businesses and had a lot of, a lot of great rewards from that. That's um, amazing. but, but, but nothing compares to building your family and having no. the space and time to go do it. And, um, and the, the current venture that you're on or the current business that you're working on, is that the, the packed apparel? Yeah, it's an apparel business. Um, so making stuff for men, for women, um, for kids, um, we make sheets and we make towels, um, all from organic cotton, um, all in fair trade factories. Um, a lot of people don't realize within the fashion industry, the fashion industry is, pollutes, is responsible for 20% of the world's industrial pollution. It's like a, it, it's second only behind oil wow. um, in terms of its impact to the environment in communities. Uh, and so I spent a lot of time working on in the food space, but you, people don't realize that you you know, the clothes that you wear are grown just like your food is. Yeah. Cotton, cotton is grown in the same fields that your food is grown or next to the same fields. And so how do we take all the, the pro progress that we've seen within the food industry around ingredients with purpose, ingredients that matter, fair trade factories, treating factory workers the right way. Um, and apply it to an industry that affects everybody. You know, everybody wears underwear, everybody wears clothes on their backs every day, and what you wear can matter. And um, it can make an impact. And you never think about that too, though, that, that cotton is grown. It's the same way you get your food. And everybody can, you know, sometimes think that organic is just this buzzword, but no, it, it it's it's getting getting everything pure and just making sure you're taking care of the environment and taking care of the people in it. And I think that it's, uh, I think that you're an incredible person and, and really reading up on you and getting ready for this interview. Um, 
you're, you, you've, you've done so much and you're, you're so giving and you're someone that, that I, I really admire after getting to, getting to know you for a little bit. Uh, I, I appreciate it. I just try to do what's right. I don't get it right all the time though. <laughs> I, I try, I, I, I do my best. Yeah, that's all we can do. Um, now, Brendan, if um, where can people find you um, for either pack clothing or social media? Yeah, we um, the, the best place is our website, probably wearpack.com, W-E-A-R-P-A-C-T.com. Um, and we always have great new customer offers on there for us to make your closet even more organic than your kitchen and not pay more. You can do it. It's not that hard. Just beautiful. Um, and then um, on social media and Instagram at wearpack.com as well, or at, where, at the handle wearpack. Gotcha. And um, can people still buy lemon heads off of you? Are you still in that business? <laughs> it, it, as, long, as long as they, they got Venmo, I'm, I'm <laughs> Well, Brendan, it was great talking to you and, and I really appreciate it. And thanks for the time. I appreciate the opportunity and have a good weekend and congratulations on number two. I hope it's a I hope it's a boy for you. I, I do too. So th- <laughs> thank you. That was very insightful for me because Douglas has never really shared that he was scared to love an adopted child. So that was just I enlightening to me because I wasn't aware that he had those fears. So now I know what to do to help him and next week we will be back as always friday a brand new episode is unlocking but if you really want to get to know us a little bit more and if you're not familiar with the beginning part of our story i do have a book out it's called wifey 101 everything i got wrong after finding mr right and it is near and dear to my heart because i really poured my soul into it so if you're someone who wants to know a little bit more behind the scenes of our life and what our early early years was like, then please do go to, you can go to Amazon and grab it, or I have an autographed copy on my website at jamieotis.com. And I would be happy to sign a copy off and ship it off to you. And I always write a little personalized note. So I would love to do that for you. And yeah, we will see you here next week. Same place, same time. See you then. We love you guys. Bye.